to be holy as he is holy. Thank you, Pastor. Please stand. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a royal nation, holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Please be seated. Our children and our young people are a resource in ministry and not just a group of people for, for something to be done to. So much of the time, our children are put in a position where we do stuff to them but instead of with them. And uh, we are, I'm, I'm looking forward to us uh, taking advantage of the resources that our children and young people have to give us in ministry. Part of the reason for that is because I believe that I am in ministry today largely because when I was a teenager, I had no choice but to be involved in ministry. My father pastored small mission churches, and uh, there weren't a whole lot of us. And as a result, I started teaching Sunday school very early. Uh, my first class was a preschool class in a room in a, bu a building behind what used to be the Salvation Army building in that town. And uh, I preached early, and I was youth director early before I was no longer a youth. And part of my task in life was to sit behind all the kids. The kids would sit in a row in front of me, and my job was to keep all those kids quiet. And the funny thing about that is some of those kids were older than I was. And it was sort of interesting. I'm sitting this morning, and I sh there's a story behind that. Yesterday, my uh, wife and my daughter told me I should sit this morning. And I said, uh, I, I, it'll be okay. And I could tell from their look that what they were telling me is your male ego is getting in front of wisdom. <laughs> so I have not set to preach very often. We'll see how it works this time. I may not even be here long. We'll see if I can, we'll see if I can stay seated and actually do this. I always have commercials. I have two. First of all, I want to encourage you to set aside Wednesday nights for the family wellness workshops that we'll be having. This is an important time. Um, this is a time for every member of the family, interestingly enough. Basically, school age and up through grandparents and great-grandparents. Why? Because we're talking about family wellness. And we're ta talking about doing family wellness to people 
So we get the mom and dad together and we tell them secret stuff that we don't tell the kids. Okay, so the kids won't know what's going to hit them. Um, that kind of thing. But rather, and we also, and also sometimes we exclude the grandparents. And what we know from research is that many of the values, when grandparents are involved, the children pick up the positive values from them easier than they pick them up from their own parents because the parents are concerned with day-to-day -day kinds of stuff and just getting through it. And so we believe that in order to have family wellness, the entire family has to be involved. And so I'd like to see you all set aside, if you're part of any kind of family structure, to set aside those uh, days, uh, those Wednesday evenings, six of them, to be at this family wellness uh, workshop that Pastor Dave will be leading. He's allowed me, and allowed me, he encouraged me, to read through the material and see for myself what it was. And friends, it's really great stuff. And so I would encourage you to be there. The second thing is that I am now beginning to put together the catalog for the fall life groups. And I am looking for people that God is calling to be either a host or hostess or a leader. Now, if you are a leader and you have an idea of what you would think what you should do, uh, talk to me about it. It's probably going to be great. If you are to say, I think God will use me as a leader, but I don't know what to do, boy, do I have ideas for you. So I would like you to talk to me, particularly those that were in the training in June, but those of you that weren't, we would like to have you and we will talk to you and give you whatever resources you need to do that particular job. We would like to have a, a life group on every day of the week and we would like to have them at various times during the day. Life groups work best when they start out with a leader and two or three people that are committed to that particular group. If you have two or three people along with the leader committed to the group, then that group will sustain itself and grow. And that's what we're looking to do. The semester is the 1st of October to sometime in December when your group decides to end it, whenever that is. So that's the fall life group that we're encouraging you to do. Okay, so those are the announcements for today. Those are the announcements for today. Uh, as I begin this particular message, let me give you a warning. The first time I did the notes for this message, uh, um, John Knox would have thought it was great. John Knox preached three hours every time he preached. And he would have thought, boy, you are right on line. I went through and I cut it back. At that point, my dad would have thought it was great. An hour, hour and a half, you know, not much. However, we live in a different society in a different time, and so I've gone through it again. So this started out to be an exhaustive study of what real holiness is. Now we're going to touch the top edges of what real holiness is, and uh, in the life groups and so on, hopefully we'll get in a little bit more depth about what we're talking about. Uh, but um, let's start off. The Wesleyan Church is known as a holiness church, a holiness church. It is uh, called a holiness church. And I've, I he have heard over the years, because the Church of God is as well, 
messages on holiness, and it makes sense because what does Scripture say? Be holy as I am holy. And, and holiness is important, and it is achieved. Let me start off with the ending. It is achieved through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I remember a time when holiness got really involved in an interesting list of do's and don'ts. And so if you were going to be a holy person, uh, you didn't dance, you didn't go to movies, you, uh, televisions weren't in your house, uh, ladies, you had to wear uh, longer dresses and certainly not pants, and guys, long hair was just not acceptable. You see, I got right into that. I'm very holy. Uh, Pastor Mark and, and, and Pastor Gordon are also extremely holy people. Uh, and, uh, and we didn't wear jewelry, we didn't wear makeup, uh, and so on and so on. In fact, I will tell you an interesting story. In the Church of God, not wearing jewelry, but by the way, at the very beginning that happened, it actually made sense. It's just later on we carried it further than it made sense. And so my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, did not wear a wedding ring. She did not wear a wedding ring from the time they were married till the time, until 1966. And that was considered an issue of holiness. Well, in 1966, they moved churches, and they had come to the conclusion that we now live in a society where if you don't wear a wedding ring, there may be a problem. And so when she moved to Visalia to pastor the church in Visalia, she put on a wedding ring. And uh, so that, that changed. So we had a, a lot of uh, things, a lot of uh, ideas about what holiness was, what you didn't do, and then what you did. You came to church every time the doors were open. Uh, you uh, uh, did uh, a lot of things to be holy. Now, don't get me wrong. There are things we should not do, okay? There are things we should not do, and there are things we should do. But the problem is we have a limited view of holiness if that's all we're doing. We're trying our best not to sin so we can be holy because we are a holiness church. But there's a problem here, and it's probably pointed out best by going back into the Old Testament when Moses was giving instruction. And so in Exodus, the 29th chapter, verses 35 through 36, it says this, Do for Aaron and his sons, I'm sorry, I can't do it, um, do for Aaron and his sons everything I have commanded you, taking seven days to, obtain, uh, to ordain them. Sacrifice a bull each day as a sin offering to make atonement. Purify the altar by uh, uh, making atonement for it and anoint it to consecrate it. Okay, so what the issue here is that the first thing that had to be done is the uh, altar that they were going to sacrifice had to be purified. And that, or in other words, the sin that it represented needed to be covered. And so they sacrificed the bull and they sprinkled blood on it. And in, in principle, that altar no longer had any sin. There was no sin in that altar as a result of it being sprinkled. In a, in a manner of speaking, 
It was holy, it was without sin. And if our definition of holiness is that you are without sin, then it was holy. But it wasn't yet. It wasn't yet. Because the next instruction for, for the altar is making it, make it holy by anointing it with oil. Even when it was made sin-free by the blood, the altar still was not considered holy. The sin was covered, but it was not considered holy. While holiness includes uh, the, the issue of overcoming sin, that is not the totality of holiness. Holiness, and if you look at your bulletin, you'll see this is the number one fill-in. Holiness means being separated or set apart. Real holiness is being separated or set apart. And this specific case, God was talking about an altar. And that altar now was set aside specifically for the use of making that particular sacrifice. That was the reason for the altar. Do you remember a guy by the name of Belshazzar? Belshazzar was an interesting guy. He was the third ruler in Babylon. He thought of himself as pretty hot stuff. And he had a drunken bash for a group of his friends one night. And they were having a grand old time. Wine was flowing freely. Undoubtedly, there were girls uh, in the place dancing and doing other things that we won't talk about. And uh, they were just having a grand old time. And Belshazzar remembered that there were golden vessels in the treasury that had been brought from Jerusalem, from the, alt from the temple in Jerusalem. And he thought to himself, boy, this would be really impressive. We will have golden cups to drink out of. And so he sent for those golden cups. Did you know that was the event that triggered the handwriting on the wall? What I suppose, what it looks like to me is, these vessels were created specifically for use in the temple, for the worship of God. They were to be used for nothing else. And as long as the Babylonians took them from Jerusalem, brought them to Babylon, and kept them in the treasury, not using them for anything, apparently God wasn't too upset at them. But at the point they took them out of the treasury to use them for something else than worshiping God, the handwriting on the wall came. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. You get the picture? In the Old Testament, certain things were set aside. And those things that were set aside were holy. They were holy. I don't know about you at home, we have some very beautiful dishes that are special. These are special dishes, and they are in a large, distressed maple cabinet that we have hauled around from place to place. And it is a beautiful cabinet, and don't get me wrong, I'm glad we hauled it around, but it wasn't easy, because this is real maple, solid, real maple. And it takes more than a little effort to move it from one place to the other. In that special cabinet, we have special dishes. And we use those special dishes 
only on special days. So when we have Thanksgiving at our house, those special dishes come out, along with the special silver that we have for that time. And so we have special dishes. When I want a snack, I don't go to the distressed maple cabinet for a dish. That's not where we keep those. We have some cheaper stuff that's up there to be used every day. But those are special dishes. They're set aside for a special use. You know, Paul talks about that. In 2 Timothy, the second chapter, the 20th verse, it says, In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utilities are utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are used for everyday use. Or, as the New King James says, some for honor and some for dishonor. So living a life of holiness does not necessarily mean living a life that is free from sin. It means living a life that is separated and sent apart, set apart. It means we are not like ordinary people. We are a special people. We are a special people. And that's important for us to say, to see. In 1 Peter, the second chapter, the ninth verse, it says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. By the way, in the, King, in the old King James Version, it says you're a peculiar people. Yeah. Friends, I know you well. Some of you are peculiar. <laughs> and I know you're looking at me and say, you should talk. <laughs> but w- what that means is we are a special people. Right. We are a special people. God set us aside. God wants to set us aside as a special people to be used exclusively for his purposes. That's what he's looking for. In 2 Timothy, the 20th verse, uh, and the 21st first continues, uh, uh, it's talking about the utensils, and it continues in 21. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a utensil God can use for his purpose. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master's use for every good work. So when we talk about that, we're not talking about the fact that you just are, uh, that you are set aside and that's all. There is a purity that has to be there. That's where we get into the issue of sin. But we get into the issue of, of, of not, be, not sinning, of being a sinless or a blameless, I prefer blameless to sinless, but a sinless people, we get into that not in and of itself, but as a result of being set apart. First things first, we are set apart, and so we need to be pure. We need to be a sinless vessel. You see, for, and this is number two, by the way, for us to remain separated for special use, we must remain pure. We must remain pure. Remember, if not purified by the blood, the altar could never have been separated for the use of for the sacrifices to God. The same is true of us. We are a special people. We are separated unto God. Christ covered our sins. 
Christ covered our sins with his blood. When we become contaminated with sin, though, we're very much, how many of you have ever had silver? And you leave it in your cabinet, you're getting ready to use it, you open it up, and it's tarnished. Now, do you set that on the table? It's still a silver vessel. It's still of great value. But you can't use it in the dinner you're having unless you have time to get the silver polish out and take care of it, the fact that it's tarnished. Well, we are in the same circumstances. When we get ourselves involved with sin, we became, become tarnished so that God cannot fully use us as a separated and peculiar people. And so we need to go back to the foot of the cross and get the tarnish remover taken care of. Get the blood of Christ to deal with that sin and not continue in it. The mistake that some people that want to be Christians make is that they sin and then they hide it. As if you could hide it from God. As if you could hide it from God. You can't. No use trying. If you did, go back to the cross, confess the sin, let Christ take care of you, and go forward, and go forward. Because we need to be pure because we are set aside. We are no longer enslaved to sin because we have been separated by the Holy Spirit. Romans, the 8th chapter, verses 12 uh, verses 12 and 13. So, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation. Look at that. You have no obligation, whatever, uh, to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Think about that for a minute. We are not obliged to sin. It's not something we have to do. Amen. Why? Because... Paul says we're no longer obliged to do it. Some of us own our home along with some bank or other. And we are obliged every month to send them a check. Or maybe it's automatic, automatic uh, payment now out of your checking account. Whatever it is, every month you're obliged to do that. Once you get that house paid off, you're not obliged to it anymore. It's taken care of. Our penalty for sin has been paid. We're no longer obliged to sin. We have no obligation to that. 13th verse, for if you keep on following it, you will perish. Following sin, you will perish. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you turn from it and its evil deeds, you will live. In 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, the 17th verse, it says, Therefore, the church of God loves this scripture, by the way. It was one of our foundation scriptures uh, back when the movement first began. Therefore, come out from among them and, be, and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. So what are we to do as Christians who are set aside who are asking God to set us aside for his service. We are to come out from among them. Now, we can't leave the earth, don't get me wrong. We still live here. We still interact here. We still are God's servants here. 
but we don't have to do what the sinful world does. We don't have to be what the sinful world is. We are to be a separated people. Sometimes we try to hold on to the world system with one hand and God with the other. That's a miserable way of life. No matter how hard in that circumstance we try not to sin, sin will get us if we try to hold on. We've got to let go. We have to look inside of ourselves and ask the question, what really motivates me? You see, you can do one thing and I can do exactly the same thing and we can have two different reasons for doing it. One may be righteous and the other may be sinful. I was at the uh, leadership summit this weekend. They asked an interesting question. And that was, how addicted are you to numbers and success? Because after all, when you looked at who was there, what you had there were pretty high-powered leadership type people. People that were driven. They were driven. And often, we measure success about the numbers. And pastor will know this. You go to ministers' meetings, and very often, one of the first questions you ask isn't, how are you? Or how goes your soul, which should really be the first question. But rather, the question is, how many people do you have? Or, how big is your budget? And the question is, how addicted are you? And their whole point was, God calls you for service and not necessarily to be successful. Now, you may be successful as a result of that service. Often we are. But that's not the issue. What's our motive? Why are we doing what we're doing? We are to be a separated people who are doing what we're doing because God has separated us for his service. And our separation, our motives, need to be God's motives. Why should I be able to look at the unlovely and love them? Because God loves them. And I need to look at them as God looks at them. And not as I might look at them or the world might look at them. All right? So we are set aside. We are set aside uh, for his service. We are separated. Now, uh, we go on, however, and when we, holiness, we said, is separated, but it's not just separated. It's not just separated. We aren't separated over there just to be separated over there. But we are separate. We are called to a purpose. Now, I believe that God gives us a unique purpose for each one of us, but there are some purposes that are general that all of us are called to be separated to. And so, in, um, so, we, so when we understand that, we, are, uh, we read in 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, 
the 15th through 17th verse, what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with the unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy, uh, their filthy things and I will welcome you. So what does he say we are? We are the temple. One of the purposes that, by the way, this is number three, one, of, one purpose for which we are separated is to be the temple of God. We are to be the very dwelling place of God. <clears throat> we were reading about uh, the tabernacle a little while ago, about the altar that was set up uh, to set uh, that was set apart in the Old Testament. So the temple, that is the whole being of who we are, has to be set aside for God's purpose. For God's purpose. A temple is a place where the Spirit of God dwells. And when we're saved, God's present comes, presence comes to dwell in us. However, God cannot live in a temple that is defiled by sin. We must be a temple set apart for him. Set apart for him. We can't just be Christians that sing his praises on Sunday. We have to be his temple every day of the week, every week. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12 was read for us when it says, but you are not like that for you are a chosen people you are a kingdom of priests, a king, a whole, God's holy nation, his very possession. This is so you can show others the goodness of God. Number four, another purpose for which we are separated is to show others the goodness of God. We're to show others the goodness of God. Here Peter gives the purpose for which we have been set apart so we can show others the goodness of God. We are not only to be the temples of God, of the temple of God, but we are also to show others the goodness of God. We need to tell what God has done for us. We are called to be his witnesses. And what we mean by that is what has God done for you that you're going to share with others? Some people think they can't be witnesses unless they have a great theological training and they know all the answers in the scripture. Well, I will tell you, uh, I had a professor, Dr. Chapman, who is one of the foremost authorities on the Old Testament, and he told the class, I have studied it for years and years and I still don't know everything that's there. So if you want to know everything that's there, give up, you can't do it. But you can know what God is doing for you. And that's what we mean by being a witness. We are to be a witness to what God has done for us. For God, what God has done for us. We are now living in the light. We are a special people. But we're not a special people because we are so great. We're a special people because God's Son, Jesus Christ, died for us. 
and we have received him and then we have asked the Holy Spirit to separate us for his service it makes us a special people we are not special because we did it ourselves this I've got a secret for you everybody could be special everybody could be special God's Holy Spirit is waiting pushing sharing so that all might come all might come and be that special people we've received the mercies of God though we did not deserve it we've been set apart to share his good news I know you know that I believe it's important to share the good news of Christ to others we tell what he's done for us I should have thought of that song I tell what we've done for us because that's exactly true that's what's happened we tell what he's done for us and we are to do it with gentleness and respect my job I, I have a good hefty Bible here I got it special so I could hit people over the head with it because I'm going to witness out there no that's not what the scripture says by the way I've never hit anybody with the Bible okay just in case you're wondering if Beverly has to dodge me when I have my Bible in my hand but the point being that our, we do this with gentleness and respect. We look, we have opportunities to share what God is doing, and we do it with gentleness and respect. We do share. We don't allow people to keep us from sharing, but we shall share appropriately with gentleness and respect. I was principal uh, of, of public schools for 23 years I shared the good news of Christ in my school you say but you can't do that in a public school I can when I'm simply telling people what's happened to me I'm not teaching the Bible I'm not quote shoving things down people's throat they ask questions I give them answers we share well, almost every week we go in and start sharing well what did you do over the weekend well you know what I did over the weekend so I share what I did over the weekend but we have to be careful because as Emerson said what we are speaks so loudly I can't hear what you're saying we need to be people that back up that witness that we're giving with a holy life because we're separated to God we're separated to God separated to God second Thessalonians 2 13 as for us we always thank God for you dear brothers and sisters loved by the Lord we are thankful that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation that came through the Holy Spirit and by your belief in the truth we are separated friends not by our effort but by the Holy Spirit holiness comes as we turn our lives over to the Holy Spirit we consecrate God sanctifies we give ourselves to God he accepts it and makes it holy and makes it holy we cannot live a holy life on our own it cannot depend on our own efforts we have to be people that have sought 
and receive the gift of the Spirit so that we can live as a separated people. And so, number six, the blood of Jesus was enough to save us. The power of the Holy Spirit is enough to keep us. We are kept by the Spirit. The oil of the Holy Spirit is sufficient to set us aside from the world to be a holy people. I call us to real holiness in the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, how thankful we are that your Son was willing to die on the cross so that we might live. Father, I want to take this life that you've given me through the cross and give it back to you for your service. It's the best thing I can do. It's the reasonable thing to do. I ask for your holiness to be expressed in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.